welcome. You've turned into Rockstar Millennial Spotlight, featuring Katherine Spitznagel, professional coach, speaker, and author of the book, Rockstar Millennials, Developing the Next Generation of Leaders. On this show, we'll feature millennials who represent this high-energy, creative, and entrepreneurial generation, and spotlight Rockstar Millennials who are living their purpose, helping others, and making a difference right where they are. Please join me in welcoming our host, Katherine Spitznagel. Hi, this is Katherine Spitznagel with Rockstar Millennial Podcast, and today we are excited to have a guest with us, Ms. Kelsey Jordan. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. I am an architect and educational planner slash designer. So in a nutshell, that means that I'm a huge collaborator who engages with communities, teachers, students, parents, engineers, contractors to design tools. And so I've worked on different typologies throughout my career, including hospitals, government, high-end, residential, and, you know, some secret work I can't even talk about. But (laughs) I've always loved designing schools because it's a place that impacts so many people because, you know, almost everyone goes through a school at some point and the design and layout and how, how you use that built environment to empower educators can have a profound impact that leads to uh, better end users. Yeah, who are kids. Yeah, that's yeah. who you're, you're designing for. So, um, yeah. so as an architect and an educational planner, um, your mom was a kindergarten teacher, right? And kind of um, she, introduced you to, or, or, or certainly gave you um, a, a good background about how important important school is and not just, um, you know, the, the personal, but also the, uh, the physical environment. And I love how you, you translate that. Um, and you have such a passion for it. Yes. And so I get asked so much to whether, um, (laughs) is it because your mom's a kindergarten teacher? Is that why you've gotten to school design? And no, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that's 100% why at times because, but I, you know, I do love to talk about psychologist pedagogy theories and school design with my mom, um, but she didn't actually start <laughs> teaching until I was in junior high, oh. and I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up then, and I mean, sometimes I still don't, um, <laughs> but I've always been curious as to the why, and more specifically, why things are the way that they are. And I think that's how everything transformed into education design Mm -hmm. as well. But I I mean, being there in the classroom with my mom and setting them up probably did have a little bit of an impact too. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about that journey, how, how you got started in as an architect and how you got started in as an educational planner. So I remember early on questioning that why still and driving through certain areas of Peoria where I grew up and by definition they weren't good areas um Mm -hmm. they weren't great but the high school that I went to butted up against it the least district lines did and thinking about how these students were impacted by factors that were outside of their control which predominantly is their parents live there. Right. So the student can't, student can't choose that. 
they can't choose, you know, that their parents live where they do. And so by default, they were getting lesser education experiences Mm -hmm. or just in general experiences just because of that. So I always was questioning why Mm -hmm. um, on that. But then, you know, fast forward on to college. And when I was starting to do more and more research into the built environment and the whys and the how and things, I noticed more so um, the research behind how students who aren't coming to school ready to learn are having that focus. And so they're, they're not ready to learn. So if they're hungry, their yeah. focus is on where the next meal is coming from. And right. if they don't have their supplies, their focus is on finding a way to obtain those supplies and not being embarrassed about not having them. And so we found out more and more with looking that if students are in poverty, they're more likely to have a greater uphill climb to educational attainment and students who live in food deserts and um, are more susceptible to that as well. So all these snowballing facts, led to my graduate thesis, which was on how architecture can combat obesity in food deserts and food deserts through an educational environment. And it just kind of went from there with the research and trying to think about how to reframe the idea of school design. Yeah, and that's huge. I mean, your thesis, I was so intrigued by that uh, when we talked about that, your thesis, because it's you've got two ends of the spectrum there, obesity and then a food desert. And and you're seeing in sometimes the same school where this can happen. And and, and again, they aren't, the kids are in an environment that is beyond their control um, and they can be so distracted and then they don't get the learning. And uh, what was so intriguing to me is the role that design plays. Um, as an architect, the role that you you play there. So, talk to us a little bit about that. How, what is your role in in helping these kids in terms of design? Sure. So, I do a lot of listening and a lot of community mm-hmm. engagement as well with trying to understand what that student needs or what that community needs, and being able to implement that culture throughout that space. And so how I see it with thinking about educational design is you can use these different principles and strategies as well as best practices. And some of those include passive design strategies as well as more active design strategies. And so what I mean by that is passive design is something that people don't necessarily recognize is happening. Mm -hmm. So we know that, um, through students in some of the first ever standards on school design back in the 1800s, that when students are able to see nature when they learn, that they have better focus, better test scores, better all of these things. So how, how do we accommodate that? Well, we, we put windows where students are sitting at their desk so they can see outside. Mm-hmm. It's a deliberate view. Whereas active design is... <laughs> It's a real thing when it comes to activity, and you can design spaces to encourage movement, which gets the brain ready to go and um, working and excited there. But I'm also defining active design as something that is more in your face, 
as to why a building is designed that way. Mm-hmm. And that could be something as simple as signage. But then the last bit, you can also integrate them together. So stairs are a great example of that, where passive and active design work together. We know that if stairs are placed within the first 25, 30 feet of a building and that the elevator isn't the first thing that people see, people are more likely to take the stairs. Mm-hmm. So nothing is telling them to take the stairs, but they're engaging in a healthy, active lifestyle, which is that active design portion. But they did it passively because there isn't necessarily that signage that are saying, hey, you're most likely going to be taking the stairs. But right. <laughs> we, we know what's right. going on there. So little things like that can be worked through. Yeah. And you don't. You take it for granted. I, I take it for granted. You know, as we were talking through um, your your work and what you do and what you're going to be speaking about, um, that's incredible to me that there, there are so many, you know, you gave very simplistic examples, but there's a million of them. And you put all of those things together uh, to help kids um, both actively and passively be more successful. And yeah. Yeah, what a calling it sounds like to me. You know, what purposeful work you do. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I know you do. <laughs> and that it shines, it shines through you. Yeah. And so um, you work in the city. Um, you have a very active life, a very fulfilling role. Um, also have a spouse. And so how do you, how do you blend all of that? The work and non-work. So um, I married another architect. Yeah. So our, <laughs> yeah. our lines sometimes can be a bit blurred, but I will say that you will always have time for what is most important to mm-hmm. you, whatever that might be. And so I would be lying if I said that I don't think about educational environments on probably a daily basis. But um, my husband and I, with him practicing architecture as well, and he's more on the construction side than mm-hmm. what I am. And we now live in our third house that we're renovating. Yes. So that's a whole lot of fun to do that together. And so I think, I believe that we practice more of a work-life integration than a work-life balance, mm-hmm. meaning that we make time for what needs done. So there are times when it's more than 40 hours a week. And then there are other times where it's 40 hours, but things get done that need done. <laughs> right. Yeah. The priority things. Yeah. And some yeah. of that is, is taking your time uh, together, but you love yeah. to, uh, to work on these homes. And uh, so again, two architects working on a home in their, yeah. In their free time. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And everybody is always like, well, how, how are you able to do that with two designers, two yeah. architects yeah. in the same house? No, no, no. It's actually, I have a whole lot of fun with my husband. We have a good time together doing it. Um, yeah. But there's always so many ideas going around. So it's that same blessing and a curse to know mm-hmm. all the cool new things going on. Yeah, because you both <laughs> and do. Then every time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. But it's it's a lot, it's a lot of fun. Um, I think I enjoy the demo part more than the building part. That's okay. <laughs> oh, that's great. So uh, tell us, um, 
the work that you do is so purpose uh, driven. How, how do you feel uh, you're living your purpose? So to me, designing schools just feels right. Mm-hmm. Um, it just makes a lot of sense to me. Um, it just the whole part of the design of it. So how I see it, that the, the change is getting done and it's, it's just making that difference in these lives and in these families and understanding that educational education attainment can be um, a cyclical thing mm-hmm. in a bad way or yes. a good way. Or so good way. Yeah. it can be something where students, you know, it, it might be they only finish high school or they only get to eighth grade or they only this or that and they keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, or it can be a they only finish high school, but then they know what they want to do. Yeah. And then they're setting themselves up, whether that's a trade school, which I am a huge proponent of, yeah. or it is college, or it's something else. Mm-hmm. But that way it's setting them on a track for what they feel their success needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and keeping that cycle going as well of enriching their family and their generations to come. Too. Yeah. So going on. Yeah. On and on. Yeah. So when you think of, uh, you talked about making a difference, uh, is there one thing in particular, one person or um, one school in particular that stands out when you, when you think of making a difference? I find that every school has a slightly different difference to them, too, um, slightly different impact, because there's always something different that each community needs. So mm-hmm. some community might be focused on how to integrate that culture. So it might be, for instance, a heavy Hispanic area and how to integrate that better because you don't see that culture necessarily integrated into certain districts, but it's so important to have that placemaking and that shown in a community. That's them. And so schools can be that part of that community too. So trying to integrate that, whereas other schools, the impact instead might be more of a how do we do a CTE space, so a career technical education space, and how do we do this for an advancement of their community, of people who are typically foundry workers or typically whatever, to let them thrive as well. So mm-hmm. it depends um, every single time. <laughs> but what were um, what were you saying, too? Um we also talked when we talked before about uh, a post-occupancy evaluation. Yeah. And that oh, is yeah. something where you really see, um, you get a critical look at how things are working. And you sort yes. of see your design in action, doing what it's supposed to do. So tell us about that. Yes. So, sure. So post-occupancy evaluations mean that we're going back to the building in six months, a year, whatever it might be, to see whether it's working or it's not. Mm-hmm. And having that critical eye to see, okay, this might not be working. We might need to fix what we are doing or, oh, this is working really well here. How can I use these same principles to integrate it later on of some kind? And then so... These occupancies are so important for that district, but then every other district that you touch, too. 
Um, we're also finding as well that different districts want to do different types of evaluations of their buildings. Mm. So whether it's a facility assessment to figure out if the building is built, and if it's safe, warm, and dry. Um, is it yeah. safe where the bricks aren't falling down? Is it is the HVAC working and is the roof good to go? Mm-hmm. Or <laughs> you'll see things when they do equity studies um, for larger districts or districts of many schools to make sure that their funding is going in the right direction. And that every single experience for each student across the district is equitable. Um, so they can all have that equitable throughout their educational yeah. Um, yeah. career. Yeah. There's just there's so much more to what you do than than meets the eye and, and then brick and mortar. And you get yeah. excited when you talk about it. So <laughs> tell us, uh, Kelsey, what's next for you? Um well I will be speaking soon, which is exciting. Um I always <laughs> I feel like everything is so much bigger than me, too. So I'm currently in a class getting my official certification for my accredited uh, learning environment planner. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really exciting for me. But when I say that everything is much bigger than me, I'm not the best designer out there or the most greatest technical architect, but, and I have shortcomings and <laughs> rely on a team to make things great, um, but I'm here to do what I can to make that difference and to try to ask the questions to make people think and to spread the word about how positive the, a redesign of a typical school, which people can refer to that the stage on a stage or the cells and bells model and how redesigning that can be and what it, that would mean for students and their community, and how to empower those teachers to use their spaces in such a unique way that they may not have thought of before. Mm-hmm. And so one of my favorite examples of that is a school I did years and years ago. And there was this um, full wall of glass leading to the interior hallway. Mm-hmm. And the one of the teachers was like, well, we don't have enough marker boards. And nobody had explained that, well, you can use the marker board on the, on the, um, on the glass. Yeah. And then that world opened up. And so then we saw her the next time we went out everywhere, almost like a mad scientist with the kids, <laughs> all their writings everywhere, yeah. <laughs> everywhere, inside yeah. and outside of the glass. So she had then used the glass as a ex- way to extend her classroom into that hallway space and to have the kids use both sides of it. And, and that use was both sides. Cool yeah. yeah. How she felt empowered by something as simple as glass. Yeah. And the way that she connected with students and they connected with her uh, because yes. of that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because of yes. that structural element of glass. And it sounds, you know, when you talk about it, you're like, okay, well, that's pretty simple. Yeah. But, who thought of it? Yeah. And how are they using it? And yeah. that's, yeah. And then you can replicate uh, in other schools. Yeah. yeah. And other, and some of these things, as we talk to, can be simple upgrades. 
um, that make a huge difference uh, connecting with children and getting them to communicate. And yeah, wonderful. Yeah, you don't have to spend a lot of money to think about things like that. So I would encourage, too, um, for people who may be in this position, to think about things as, (laughs) think about your end user, so the student. And so, for instance, when we go out into the community and we talk to the students, we don't want your A-plus student. For your A-plus student, that school is working for them. Mm -hmm. There is nothing wrong. And you can even make the argument with some of the students that they could be put in almost any environment and they could be that Mm A+. But I instead want a student who doesn't like school. I want someone who hates what I love. (laughs) And so I I want to know why and why that's not working for them and how they feel it could be better or Mm -hmm. what they might dislike about it so that we have something to address Mm -hmm. and we have something we can make this little guy's experience that much better. So that way he might be excited about school or at least minimally feel that he had a sex and he had, you know, he he has autonomy over his his choices. Yeah. (laughs) Which is wonderful. Yeah. So what encouragement do you have for other millennials? I would say fail fast, fail early. Um, (laughs) We have have so much we can learn from younger kids. And little kids do this, by the way. They fail fast. They they learn, you know, fail fast, fail early um, because they aren't scared to fail, Mm -hmm. which gives, that makes sense, because a lot of times they have nothing on the line. They don't have bills. They don't have a house. They don't have to worry about food (laughs) on the table. (laughs) But, you know... If you've seen it, uh, check out the talk on uh, the Marshmallow Challenge, mm-hmm. where teams are put together where they have to use these spaghetti noodles and yarn and tape and one marshmallow. Mm-hmm. And they have to figure out who makes the tallest tower without right. to hold up this marshmallow right. and who constantly performs well. Well, it, it is your architects and engineers, so that's not what we're talking about. It's all it's your kindergarten students that mm-hmm. do. And so they make the tallest and most interesting and coolest structures because they iterate. And they because of iteration, they fail fast, they fail early, but they have successful outcomes. Yeah. And why? Well, they understand that it's okay to not know the answer or what a solution will be, but they do have a focus, which is being the ba- being the biggest power the there. Yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah, <laughs> and relating it to real life, you know, it's okay to not know, um, but to try and understand what your passion is and what makes you excited because mm-hmm. then you can better express that and follow it as well. Yeah, which you do. Yeah, you know what your yeah, passion is and, and you're living it. <laughs> yeah, it is cool. It's educational architecture through and through. Yeah. Every single time, it makes me so happy. Yeah. <laughs> and well, I hope everybody finds that for them. I hope so too, uh, because you have it. You found it. You live it. And and thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that with uh, teachers, with students, with communities, with other architects. Um, we appreciate we appreciate the difference that you're making. 
So thank you. Thanks. I appreciate it. And thanks for joining us today. We're glad you were here, Kelsey. Thanks. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's been a great time. I'll talk about school architecture anytime you anytime. want. Anytime. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> and thank you to our listeners. Thanks for joining us today. Don't miss a podcast. You can find us at rockstarmillennials.com, Apple Podcasts, or iTunes. And until next time, talk soon. To share your thoughts about this episode, subscribe to future podcasts, submit a discussion topic, or shine a light on a rockstar millennial in your world, contact Catherine Spitznagel at rockstarmillennials.com and click on Contact Us. Oh,